1: Who gon' stop me high? Breathtaking, a mood that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to
0: be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the world of sports and outside of it as well. Jalen Brown and his $300 million deal. Bronny James, thank God he's okay. The President of the United States and his son. And of course, the one and only Mike Tyson. There's a big fight coming up this weekend, after all. It's the Stephen A. Smith Show in the house. You know what time it is. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 4 p.m., Eastern Time, live over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Obviously, that's not the only days I come on the air. Sometimes I usually have a special edition. I'll be throwing those at you in the days and weeks to come as well, but normally, again, it's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, over the airwaves, the digital airwaves of YouTube. This is the Stephen A. Smith Show in the house. Got a lot to get into, but as usual, I'm in a studios. In this particular instance, I'm in our L.A. studios. Thanks to our, thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the sports betting company for The Stephen A. Smith Show. Um, I don't see it up on the screen, but obviously um, I appreciate the love and support that everybody has given me. My subscribers have grown to over 250,000 in less than five months uh, that I've really, really been doing this on this level. Um, So I want to thank all of you uh, for supporting the show the way that you have. It is deeply appreciated. Make no mistake about that. And you keep the love coming and I'll keep showing up and doing the best that I can to entertain, inform you, and just to literally um, express myself and hopefully enlighten as many people as I possibly can, or at least make an attempt to in doing so. After all, if you're going to have a podcast and that's not what you're striving to do, why the hell have a podcast? It's really, really that simple. Let me get to a couple of things that I wanted to get to. Um, I was going to go the NBA route talking about Uh, Jalen Brown, because there's a bigger issue going on, particularly when you consider what's transpiring in the NFL, uh, specifically with running backs compared to what's happening in the NBA, particularly with guys like Jalen Brown and others. But before I get into, let me take a moment to send prayers up and to give a heartfelt thanks to God almighty himself, because Bronny James appears to be okay. The son of LeBron James Uh, 19 years of age, a freshman at the University of Southern California, USC, uh, was working out um, and suffered a cardiac arrest during practice when your heart stops various different reasons in his case apparently uh, from an electrical perspective in terms of what sparks the heart and keeps it going keeps it churning or what have you apparently there was something that was compromised in that regard and thank the good lord that medics were in or nearby at the facility so when he collapsed they were ready to jump on it and to make sure that he received the medical treatment that he deserves and, and obviously every human being deserves but the medical treatment necessary They ultimately got him to a hospital. He was in ICU. He's out of ICU. He's been stabilized. He's doing well. And I just want to say that I've seen the kid around on many, many occasions. I've never talked to him really. um, And believe it or not, I've never made any effort to talk to him other than giving him a pound and a hug when I saw him at the crypto.com arena during the playoffs just a few months ago. And me intentionally just to put myself on front street, I never wanted I never had a desire to talk to Bronny James because I think most people out there literally considering the cynical society that we live in. I think you have a lot of people that want to amp up the pressure on him because his father, his daddy, the great LeBron James is so phenomenal uh, that they want to judge him accordingly. And I never wanted to do that to that kid. I I wanted those guys that I didn't want to see him until it was time to see him. I wanted him to live his life, uh, to be a kid to go out there and enjoy his life to the best of his ability, elevate his level of skill to the best of his ability. And then when it was time to showcase those talents, as opposed to him being somebody that's judged against the obviously incomparable abilities of his daddy. That is why I never made any kind of effort to watch Bronny James play, but obviously he's a college student now. Uh, He's going to be at USC and hopefully through the grace of God, not only saving his life, but also putting him in a position where he can resume his aspirations of ultimately becoming a professional basketball player. I sincerely hope that he is okay. I don't know his mama very well. Savannah was just a sweet, wonderful, wonderful woman. I just love her class. The fact that you never, ever, ever hear anything about her in the news. She recognizes the fact who she is LeBron James wife and she doesn't bring any any kind of unwanted attention to her family I just think she's a phenomenal lady in every way shape form and fashion Um, and as we say you know happy wife happy life there's a reason that LeBron James is walking around like he's the Mac because he has an absolutely wonderful woman who is his wife and the mother of his children and she is something special now I do know Gloria James LeBron's mama, who has always, always been wonderful to me. She knows how much I love her. She is adorable. She is great. And I wish her and her grandson and their family nothing but the best. But I was rooting for Bronny James. And I'm so happy that he's okay. Let me say this. God forbid something worse had happened to Bronny James. I just want to take a moment to say y'all do know that LeBron James' career would have ended, right? Y'all do know that, right? Think back to Michael Jordan and when he retired. He ultimately came back. But think back to him and when he retired. Y'all do know that was in the aftermath of his daddy being killed in North Carolina, right? Roadside and two assailants victimized his dad and shot and killed him. You do know that, right? It's not an accident nor a coincidence that Michael Jordan found it hard to return to the basketball court and play it, although he returned and played baseball initially uh, for the farm system with the Chicago White Sox. It was hard. It was hard. Could you imagine if something worse had happened to Bronny James? Do you really think that LeBron James would have been able to play basketball? I'm saying that to say, thank goodness. God blessed us with allowing Bronny um, to continue to live his life and hopefully uh, have a full recovery from this setback, this cardiac arrest he suffered. But we're also lucky from a basketball standpoint, because I don't believe LeBron James would have been capable of playing basketball if he had lost his son. I don't believe it for one second. I say that now and I would never have broached the subject if his son was in ICU and his life was still in danger, whatever. But now that he's out of the woods, I I don't think it's 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 off kilter or, or, or bad in any way to bring up that reality. LeBron James is still in the NBA, one could easily argue, because he has aspirations of hopefully his son making it to the NBA and playing with his son. And if his son ends up not making it to the NBA for some reason or his basketball career being sacrificed because of, of 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 the setback, then maybe LeBron James would retire earlier than originally anticipated. But if something worse had come of that cardiac arrest to Bronny James, y'all do understand we all would have suffered not just because of the loss of a young man with his life fully ahead of him, by all accounts, a wonderful young man that's got, you know, that's got everything to live for in the world, especially a wonderful family. LeBron James would have never been the same. One of the things that my mama, Janice Smith, God rest her soul, passed away in June, June 1st, game one, the morning of game one of the NBA finals between the Golden state Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017, to be specific. One of the things my mother reminded me of is that, as I said to Ving Rhames the other day when he broke down, and I understood those emotions and those feelings because, to be quite honest with you, I cried every day for two years. And I'm just not the most emotional guy in the world. Those kind of emotions. Yes, I can get loud. I can be demonstrative and bombastic and all of this other stuff. But in terms of shedding tears and being sad or walking around a bit melancholy, to say the least, that's just not my MO. That's not something I do. I was that way for every day for two years when I lost my mother. That's how devastating the loss was for me. So much so that I would openly confess to you there were times when I was on national television and I was doing first take and I was y'all were literally looking at me and there were times when I didn't even hear the person sitting across from me, debating with me, whether it was Max Kellerman or somebody else, because my mind and my everything just went blank because all I saw was her. And for a few seconds, I couldn't hear or see anything but her. And my soul just got dark. And I bring that up because my mom, before she passed away, reminded me. That it is much, much worse for a parent to lose their child than for a child to lose their parent. My mother told me what I told Ving Rhames. This is the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be going first. I've prepared you for this. That's what my mama said to me. And that's what I hold on to. And I say all of that to say, LeBron's a strong brother. He's a real one. He's dealt with a lot of adversity in his life. I wouldn't wish on anybody the level of pain he and his family would have felt if Bronny had been lost. So thank God that is not the case. Thank God he's okay. Thank God he's gonna be all right. And hopefully in a position to resume his career As a collegiate basketball player and hopefully someday as an NBA player. But thank God LeBron James and his family didn't have to deal with worse circumstances. Because I think the LeBron James that you see right now would have been gone forever had that happened. That's the first subject I wanted to get to. Let me get to some basketball items, some professional sports items overall, because here's what I want y'all to understand. Okay. Jalen Brown for the Boston Celtics just signed a five year, $304 million extension. He's now the highest paid player in the history of the National Basketball Association. No NBA player in history has ever gotten that contract. There are a lot of you out there that's going to sit up there and say he ain't worth the damn money. I wanted to use this as a teachable moment. Because you see, when we watch sports or when we pay attention to business, particularly in the climate that we're living in, we've got the writers strike. We've got actors, you know. Striking and what have you, because they're not receiving fair and equitable compensation in their eyes. We've got studios lamenting the strike because they're talking about how they've lost money and the times that we're living in. Damn it, we're doing the best that we can. We've got layoffs at Disney. We've got layoffs at Amazon. We've got layoffs at Facebook, a.k.a. Meta. We've got face uh, layoffs every damn place. Target, Walmart, the list goes on and on. And by the way, there will be more. There will be more. It's time that you use every moment that you possibly can to recognize what the hell is going on. The market is what dictated Jalen Brown's ability to capitalize, even though he's not even the best player on the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown is not better than Jason Tatum. He played better than Jason Tatum in the finals against Golden State. He did not play as well as he could have played in game seven of this last Eastern Conference finals loss against. The Miami Heat. It was not his shining moment. But Jalen Brown is an absolute stud. He can ball. He plays on both sides of the ball. He's a professional. He cares. He gives it all he has. He's a conscientious observer off the court of play. And he represents the Boston Celtics and the NBA brand in prestigious fashion. More importantly, the timing of his contractual situation presented itself in an opportune time. The NBA, the new TV money that's coming in, the elevation of the NBA cap, the increase in salaries for guys capable of, of, of capturing max deals. First thought that came to my mind is you pay Jalen Brown three hundred and four million million. My God, I guess Jason Tatum's about to get 350. Two players on the Boston Celtics are going to make over 600 million dollars. I'm going to say that again. Two players of the Boston Celtics are going to make over 600 million outs. Oh, by the way, neither of whom have a championship. Oh, by the way, they both deserve it. They got what the market allows. At the time that their contractual situation opened up. Oh, by the way, they've been to five conference finals. They've been to an NBA Finals. No, they do not have a championship, but they've advanced deep into the playoffs on multiple occasions. Jalen Brown is 26. Jason Tatum is 25. You understand what I'm saying to you? So it's not just about what they deserved based on what they produced. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum averaged 30 last year. Jalen Brown averaged 26. And both of them, a 26 and under, which means they got about six or seven years, if not more. So not only are they, they, are they getting a deal, they're getting this deal and it will expire. In Jalen Brown's case, he's getting this deal at 26. His deal will expire when he's 32. He'll turn 27. I think it's this October. He'll get his next and he'll be in a position to get another deal when he's 32. LeBron is still playing. He's approaching 40. Al Horford is playing. He's approaching 38. Steph Curry's about 35. So is Russell Westbrook. James is approaching that number. Are you kidding me? I can have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same lineup. Excuse me. At that young age, they're already competing for championships. I just added Chris Stapp's Porzingis. I still got Horford and Williams on my front line. I still got Derrick Brown and, and Malcolm Brogdon, the reigning sixth man of the year in my lineup. I acquired a seven-foot-three shot block and shoot at Chris Stapps-Borzingas. Hal Boston is arguably the favorite to win it all. You damn right I'm paying Jalen Brown if I could keep him with Jason Tatum. Now, don't get me wrong. Missoula's not a bad coach. I think he did a damn good job, and I think he's only going to get better, but they shouldn't have lost Ime Udoka. That was some bull crap. Let me just say what it is. That was bullshit. He should still be there instead of coaching in Houston. As great as Brad Stevens was as a coach, in seven years, he couldn't take him to the finals. Ime Udoka did it in year one. And because his unmarried self got loose with somebody that worked within an organization. All of that happened. Now, I ain't, ain't condoning it. It was kind of dumb. And I understand. But the reason why I hold the Boston Celtics accountable, how the hell you let that information leak out? I'm going to repeat it again. I'm going to repeat it again for the umpteenth time. That was an HR matter. You fire him Or you keep him. What you don't do is leak it out for the masses to know. And it was him. But the person that he was messing with, who was allegedly married, we ain't never heard nothing about her. He wasn't married. I ain't saying he should have done it. But you're going to keep stuff quiet, quiet, keep everything quiet. I'm still pissed at Boston about that. And I'm going to stay pissed about that. Having said that, however, it is what it is. That is not the reason I brought up Jalen Brown and his salary. Reason I brought up Jalen Brown, because I want you to juxtapose that to the National Football League and running backs and what their ordeal is. Because he running backs in the National Football League and getting paid. Jalen Brown is going to average over 50 million a year. An NFL running back who puts themselves in far more physical danger, can't even get to 15. There are 125 players in a National Football League with an average salary of 15 million dollars or more. 125 players. You know how many are running backs? Want to take a guess? The number Is two. Christian McCaffrey. And Alvin Kamara for the New Orleans Saints. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. And there's something wrong with that picture. Just read it from stats that I accumulated here. Offensive players with average annual contracts worth at least 15 million. Twenty-two are wide receivers. 22 are offensive tackles. 17 of them are quarterbacks. Seven of them are guards. Two of them are tight ends. Two of them are running backs. That's it. And we have a situation where running backs, no matter what they produce, they can't get the money that they richly deserve because the system counts against them. It doesn't matter what their level of production is. What they're saying is, excuse me, well, if you're 26, 27 years of age, chances are it's too much dust that's been collected on your birth certificate. You've taken too much punishment. It don't matter what you did last year. We don't project that you're going to do this in a year or two. We ain't giving you but so much. Yet, you can't even go elsewhere to see what your market value is because the team that has your rights gets to franchise tag you. Not just once, but twice. So They could have franchise tagged Saquon Barkley this year. They can still franchise tag Josh Jacobs this year if they haven't already. I think they already have. OK. And then not only could they do that this year, they could do it next year as well. Now, Saquon Barkley got a little, a little, a little extra because he signed a one year deal. Didn't have to be the franchise tag. Just signed a one year deal. They gave him like an extra nine hundred thousand dollars plus a two million dollar signing bonus. So instead of getting a 15, he walks away with about 11. But the bottom line is it's still underpaid by about 4 million based on the production that his position demands, except that in the NFL, you don't have to capitulate to that because guess what? You are running everything. You got a hard salary cap. This is what I propose in the, the NFL Players Association should work with the league office to do. Eliminate one of those franchise tags for running backs. And oh, by the way, instead of making guys participate in collegiate football, For three years before being eligible to enter the NFL draft. Why don't you allow running backs to come out after one? If they can produce on a collegiate level, let them leave after their freshman year. That way, when they come into the league, they've got two extra years to produce where they can make money earlier and they've got a better chance of getting a second contract that might be a little bit long-term instead of saying their time is up, even though their play doesn't show that. Fair is fair. I don't know why the Players Association didn't think about that. I don't know why Stephen A. Smith got to be the one to come out and say that. I mean, damn. Now, how would I notice? Because I've been covering collective bargaining negotiations since the 90s. I know a thing or two about it. I think you could have worked to carve that out specifically for running backs. I think it would be the fair and just thing to do. We know it's not going to happen because the owners are cheap, stingy. And they don't care. But it's still worth mentioning. Because the right thing always is. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith show right here. On the digital airways of YouTube. Before I go to break. There's a big time fight coming up this weekend. One's in the UFC with Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje, which is going to be big time. For the UFC fans out there, good luck with that. Go watch it. It's big time. No doubt about it. I love the UFC, but we all know I love boxing more. Big time boxing more. I'm a fan of the UFC. I know my boxing. And Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. is a reason, a rare reason to pay attention to boxing this weekend. This could be the fight of the decade. It's clearly one of the biggest fights in years. I personally believe this is the biggest fight since Pacquiao Mayweather. My personal belief. I understand Deontay Wilder in the trilogy against Tyson Fury was supposed, I mean, it ended up being a big time fight because I thought Wilder was finished in the third and then dropped Tyson not once but twice in the fourth before getting finished in the 11th because he was fighting somebody 38 pounds heavier than him. Okay? But the fact of the matter is the fight itself was big time. The hype leading into the fight, that's a different animal. We ain't seen that. We didn't even see that with Canelo versus Mayweather. We didn't see that with Benavidez versus Plant. We didn't see that with a multitude of other fights. I thought we would have seen that if Anthony Joshua had fought Deontay Wilder before Andy Ruiz knocked him out. And ruined the prospects of that matchup. But I'm here to tell you something right now. In terms of hype purposes. And I remember Teofimo Lopez versus Lomachenko. I just saw Haney Lomancheko was was a damn good fight. Javante Davis, Ryan Garcia was a big time fight with the hype to accompany it. Shakur Stevenson is going to get his day. Terrence Crawford and and Sean Porter, Errol Spence Jr. and Sean Porter, Kel Brook versus one of the two in Spence or Crawford. Those were big fights. Didn't measure up to this. Crawford, Spence. This has the potential. To be Sugar Ray versus Leonard. Duran versus Sugar Ray. Duran versus Hearns, even though Hearns knocked him out in two rounds. We're afraid of Sugar Ray Leonard. Mayweather Pacquiao. This has the potential. The hype for this is almost, I wouldn't say quite up to Mayweather Pacquiao. Wouldn't say quite, but it's up there. But the fight has the potential to be better than that fight was, which wasn't the greatest fight in the world. Spence and Crawford, I don't think neither one of them know how to run, not to back up. That's just me. But the hell with what I think about it. How about what Mike Tyson thinks about those things? He's got a few things on his mind he wants to talk about. No doubt smoking some weed while doing so. He does hold a, on a cannabis company, so I mean, it makes sense. I am Mike Tyson with Stephen A. Up next, right here. Don't touch that dog.
1: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me, huh?
0: Who gonna stop me Without further ado, let me just get right to it because I don't like to keep this man waiting. Of course, I spoke to him a little bit earlier. Um, he is the former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, uh, a knockout artist, arguably the greatest box office attraction in the history of the sport outside of Muhammad Ali. He is the one, the only Mike Tyson. I am Mike Tyson right here with Stephen A. Smith. Check it out. We welcome to the show Iron Mike Tyson. My brother, what's going on? How you doing?
1: Hey, man, everything is beautiful, Steven. It's wonderful to be on this l- show with
0: l- you. Listen, man, this is going to shock you. This is going to shock the world what I'm about to say to you. It's going to shock the world. On my, show, on my show, on my show, you have permission to smoke the weed. Oh, I have man, no thank problem. Thank you very much. I'm truly grateful <laughs> for that. I have no problem, man. Do your thing. Do your thing. What's going on, man? I mean, you got to. I mean, this this business venture of yours, Tyson Pro, a collection of boxing equipment and attire. Mike Tyson in a businessman who would have thunk it. How are you feeling about how things are going for you?
1: I'm very grateful and I'm very um I'm very um, happy and I'm proud that my supporters and my fans support me.
0: You know, when I think about some of the business ventures that you've been in, I mean, I'm thinking about not just you or, you know, this collection of boxing equipment and attire. I'm thinking about your show on Broadway. I'm thinking when you've appeared in movies, just the, the just the the numerous things that you've done. Mike Tyson, you've never lost the support of people in this country. Think about that for a second with all that you've been through as you reflect on your life and the fact that so many people love you in this day and age. How does that make you feel?
1: I'm, like I said before, Steve, I, I live a life of gratitude now. Mm. To the best of my ability. Talk to me about that. I know what hard times are like. You know, I was saying that I understand hard times, and I understand good times. Mm. you know... In life, you—they have to come. You're gonna have to deal with both of them because that's what life consists of: good times and bad times. Hot boxing, difficult times.
0: Yeah, hot boxing obviously is a, is a huge podcast. You're having major success with that. Congratulations to you uh, for what you're doing with that. But I watch you a lot, and I watch you do a lot of these interviews, and you seem hell bent not just on having a conversation but providing life lessons. Now, anybody that watched you box and listened to your interviews throughout the years, we all knew that you read a lot of philosophers and things of that nature, particularly when it came to the sport of boxing. But as I think about and when I listen to you talk to other people, interviewing them, you seem to be so willing to impart life lessons. Talk to me about that, Mike Tyson, and how you got to that point. One of the life lessons
1: is conversation. Mm. and um, you know most people in life are seekers, and seekers want to know things they want to know things they wouldn't never know or understand if they had a thousand years of life to live, but for some reason, we want to know things we can, we're very um curious about god mm. who is God what is God what is God's existence? Why did God create us to be afraid to die and um, I don't know life is life is just um Very interesting. As you get older, um, you want to
0: know more about your existence. Mm. That's what I think. Don't you? I really, I agree with you. I agree with you. You want to know more about your existence. I'm not sure. I want to know some of the things you know. As when I was on hot boxing and you was talking to me, we were supposed to be coming on there talking about me, talking about boxing, talking about sports, and you started talking about the National Geographic channel and these animals and, and, and how to bear, <laughs> and, and you had bear, you know, keeping you alive and, and, and crushing your skull or, or chewing on your skull while yeah, you were alive. Yeah, yeah. Hyenas yeah. eating you from the inside out. and stuff. Mike, I didn't come there to hear all of that, bro. I didn't come there to hear all of that. I was just watching it and it blew my mind. Is this that simple? I I mean, listen, listen, how much of that stuff did you watch when you were boxing before you went to the ring and fought somebody? Is that the kind of stuff you was doing before you fought?
1: I watched horror movies and karate pictures. Really? The Shaw Brothers. I always watched The Shaw Brothers. Okay, all right.
0: But why would you watch karate movies? And horror pictures before a fight. Why? It's entertainment. Entertainment. Just to yeah. What I mean, but did you need anything? I remember when Marvin Hagler, marvelous Marvin Hagler, God rest his soul. I remember when he would talk about going away for weeks at a time and being celibate all of those weeks because he wanted to come into the ring hostile and angry and ready to go. I mean, was there anything that you did to get you in the right frame of mind for a fight, or did you just naturally have it within your possession?
1: No, it's like a job. It's like you go in the work. I have to go to work. I have to get my best performance today.
0: Really? So you never you so, so 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 let me get this straight. You never walked into the ring beforehand and was like this. This particular person, I want to hurt really, really bad because he get on my damn nerves. I want to do something. Yes, I do. not I don't allow to distract me from my professional
1: job. Mm. You know, that's a professional. He doesn't let anything distract him. Mm. That's the difference between an amateur a professional. Those are my personal feelings have nothing to do with
0: me in the ring. Mm, I got you. So we're talking to the great Mike Tyson is uh, sitting right here now with yours truly Stephen A. Smith. As you reflect on what your life has become in terms of your career, your business ventures, some of the acting and the other things that you've engaged into, what are you most excited about at this particular moment in time in your life?
1: I'm really excited that my family is... Um, able and capable of just living the life that um, they deserve to live. Mm. I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful to to have my wife and my children. You know, um, I never knew how important that was in my life. I'm very grateful that they're my wife and um, she's my wife and they're my children.
0: One can imagine how you didn't know how important it was in your life at one moment in time. Do you remember when you realized how important that stuff was to you?
1: Well, you know, when I I lost my four-year-old daughter, I understood the the preeminence of family.
0: Mm. How were you able to overcome the loss of your four-year-old daughter? I mean, I've got a 14 and 13-year-old. I mean, if I lost any of my children, I'd lose my mind. How have you been able to survive and prosper the way you have after such a devastating loss?
1: Yeah, I think I did lose my mind. That's, the, that's really interesting. But I don't know. I don't know. I really it down. Uh, I can't even talk about that. It's pretty like, interesting, though, Yeah, that you said
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get where you're coming from with that, man. Um, as we sit here, how interested when we talk about your business venture, that's a given. How interested are you in Broadway? How interested are you in acting? How interested are you in doing things like that?
1: Yeah, hey, I just enjoy entertaining people. That's just my life. When I was a fight, I was entertaining. When I'm on bro- I just want to entertain people. Really, I'll do it for nothing. Yeah, right.
0: So you like making people laugh? I mean, it, or, entertainment comes in all shapes, forms, and sizes. What do you like doing most?
1: I don't know if I like to make them laugh, but that's a gift that I have. Okay, make people happy, but um. My objective is just to be an entertainer and they and when they when they leave, I want them to say, "When can I see him
0: again?" Mm. I feel you on that Well, you've always done that throughout your career. no question about that. The weed Mike Mike tyson I'm going to ask you a strange question Go for Steve, it. Stephen A Smith has been on the record. Now, and I want you to stay with me for a second. I am famous for I am famous for telling people to stay off the weed. But I was only saying that to the athletes that it was going to cost them money. Like if you not if it's not going to cost you money, then live your life. But it's stupid to lose money because you violated some weed policy in the world of professional sports, which have now dissipated and not flat out eradicated. My question to you would be this. What would weed do for Stephen A. Smith?
1: Well, it'll stop you from being paranoid and suspicious, man. <laughs> Chill out.
0: I'm not paranoid, Mike. I'm not paranoid. Uh-uh. I wouldn't call myself paranoid. I'm alert. I got, to, I got to watch out for stuff. But I wouldn't say I'm paranoid, Mike. But that's what i like
1: that, you know, Say what? You know, we're param- Someone that's paranoid would, would never
0: say that he's paranoid. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. But what? What else would it do for me, Mike? What else would it do for me, man? Would it keep me alert? I don't know, man. Um, it depends on what
1: you smoke. If you smoke the indica, to keep you your brain moving quick. Okay. No, um, that's the, the sativa. The, the 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 sativa keeps your brain right. going fast, and the indica
0: keeps you relaxed and
1: tired. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: well, which one do you use? I mean, you got your you own a cannabis company and stuff like that. And I know you smoke some. I,
1: I like sativa, I like to keep my mind working, I like to be up and pumping.
0: Okay. So yeah, because a lot of people have the impression there is no weed out there that does that for you, that it mellows you out and stuff like that. You're saying that's false?
1: This is what I'm saying. You know, in the 70s, you just had to take what they had. Right now, you tell somebody, how do you want to feel? You tell them how you want to feel, and they give you the weed to help you feel that particular way. Really? Really? Yeah. Hey, so you're, 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 you won't believe me, brother.
0: I I'm reading the critique of your cannabis company and it says here the mission is to produce innovative, high quality cannabis and provide consumers an outstanding selection of products and an extraordinary balance of premium and affordable, full spectrum cannabis flowers. So you saying there's weed for everything? I'm saying this. I'm
1: saying I'm the number one guy in the world when it comes to cannabis.
0: You are. Yes. You think You think you got Cat
1: Williams beat? No one, no one can match me. You think you got Snoop Dogg beat? I have I reign supreme. No one can even match me in the cannabis business.
0: Damn. That, that's a bold statement, Mike Tyson. I mean Al Harrington, there's a few others, Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson, cats yes. like that. They might they might challenge that.
1: Well, only thing you have to do is just look at look at, the, look at the paper. Do an investigation on the company, Tyson 2.0. Okay. All right. I'm so those guys, I, I like to work with those guys, too. Okay. Oh, you all know? of them? It's enough, for everybody. It's, it's enough for everybody,
0: man. It's enough for everybody. Damn. I, well, clearly, when it comes to some weed, that is absolutely positively the case, no doubt about that. We're talking to the great Mike Tyson right here with Stephen A. Smith on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Mike, let me get to some boxing. How are yeah, you how, how are you feeling about the sport of boxing today?
1: I like it. I think it's good. Really? Yeah, what, what you don't like about it?
0: I don't like the fact that we got to wait so damn long to get the fights we want.
1: Well, listen, the guys are not getting the money they think they deserve, so they have to hold out.
0: Okay, that's true. Because I, I definitely want boxers to get the money that they deserve. And I say all of that to say, have you ever thought about being a promoter?
1: No, because I, I'm um, I'm a smuck as the promoter. I would give the fighters all the money. I would never make any money,
0: <laughs> right? Because you got you got you, you you got sensitivity and all of that stuff for them. Who, oh, big time! Who is the greatest promoter in the history of boxing in your mind? God damn!
1: I don't, listen. Say what? It has to be Bob Bob Arum and Don King. They had more promotions than anybody.
0: Okay. We can go from there. I'm looking at this fight right now, coming up with Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. I'm getting excited about it. It's July 29th. Once upon a time, I thought Errol Spence was just a clear, bigger, stronger fighter. Too small, Terrence Crawford. Now I'm looking at it and I'm saying Terrence Crawford has had some years to maturate to that 147-pound limit. It could be very, very interesting. What are your thoughts about this fight coming up?
1: Listen, I went out, um I'm on record saying Crawford, but that's just me talking shit. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> right.
1: Um, it's going to be a hell of a fight. In order for Spence, the one he has to come straight at him pitching. Mm-hmm. From the first night he's come right on him because once he gives him that time to start moving around during the rounds, start going by right and he's analyzing him, then he's screwed.
0: Yeah, then who's screwed?
1: Then Spencer's screwed. Right. Once you start letting, if you start letting um Crawford analyze you for right. rounds, watching yep. the move, taking him, that's that's you wasting your time. You gotta get right on top of the guy.
0: See, to me. That's Errol Spence. And I love Errol Spence. That is a potential weakness. You would come out and try to take Crawford out early. All right. Assuming it was heavyweights that we're talking about, of course. What I'm saying is Errol Spence sort of methodically goes about the business of taking you down. I don't think that works against
1: Crawford.
0: I don't think that works against Crawford. This is what I wanted to talk to you about, too. You and I, we agree on something, I believe. I believe that David Benavidez, who you labeled the Mexican monster, I think that brother is something special. And I think that Canillo is avoiding him. I think that's another
1: that guy. He got that guy, Eric Morales. He's a, what's his name again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, think I think it's Morales.
0: I think it's Morales. He's got him next. He's got him. David Benavides is getting ready to Cuban fight him. Guy. Yes. The Cuban guy? Yes. Oh,
1: shit.
0: You think he's better than Benavides? No, but it's going to be a good fight. I think it's going to be a very good fight, but I'm mad that David Benavides has to fight him because Canelo didn't give him the fight. See, I don't like the fact that Canelo is fighting a smaller Charlo, okay? He's moving up two weight classes to fight Canelo because his brother's unable to make the fight. And I'm like, Canelo should be fighting Benavides. That's what I think. What about you?
1: Let's see what happens in that
0: fight. I'm very curious.
1: Which, what, curious about what? The Canelo fight.
0: Canelo versus the smaller Charlo. I think Charlo's gonna do better than we think. I think he's very good, but he's too small, and he doesn't know how to back up. And you can't come to Canelo. I think that's a that's a mistake.
1: Listen, that guy is tough, and he got so much balls to take on Canelo. And I believe he believes he can
0: win. Mm, I got you. Who's the best heavyweight in the world right now? Is it Tyson Fury? Big time, yeah. Do you like the fact that they got some exhibition coming up with him and Francis and Gano, formerly of the UFC, that's now, now out listen, of the own? Bro.
1: Listen, that's just making fighting a, um, bigger and bigger.
0: Mm. So you're one of those guys that you're a fan of Jake Paul and what Jake Paul has done for the sport of boxing?
1: Oh, man, he's did more for the sport of boxing than most of the champions
0: did. I think so, Come too.
1: Come on. I think so, because too. He fights fight somebody 70 million people watch. The champ can fight somebody, he's lucky he get 3 million. Right. 5 million.
0: Yeah. Before I let you get on out of here, your greatest moment as a fighter at this day, today, I know you've answered this question a thousand times, but I'm imagining it may change as time goes on. As you reflect on your career right now, what's your greatest moment as a fighter?
1: With Buster Douglas.
0: When Buster Douglas beat you? Yeah. Why?
1: Because I took some really good shots. Mm-hmm. When I watched the fight, I said, "Why wow, I took some good shots.
0: Right. You know I'm still mad. I've never, it's been years. You know I've never forgiven Bruce Seldon, right? For going down when you didn't even hit him.
1: Yeah, I never... I Listen, didn't we see that, man? Yes. Didn't we see? I'm telling you. Kena, he you never touched him. Him. Hit him. You never touched
0: him. You never touched him. He got and he went down and then he refused to get up until a count of ten. And by the count of ten, he was hugging you. No, but he
1: got up okay. Like the next thing, he shook his head and he started
0: falling. What the fuck? Yes,
1: you saw he shook his head and then got dizzy and started. It was ridiculous. Acting.
0: You know, I told people this story because at the time this fight was taking place, right? It was right. I was, I was, I was, I was, uh. In college coming out of college get ready going to go into the business and I remember when About you By 96 that's right you I was getting I remember when you was getting ready to fight Michael Spinks and you were so furious because you thought he was taking too damn long to come into the ring and you didn't realize he was in the lock he was in the locker room crying because he had to come out and fight you do you remember that it didn't.
1: I don't remember but it didn't look good for him
0: <laughs> <laughs> before I let you get on out of here man last question the black files <laughs> The Black Files, a film by Sean Penn about emergency medical first responders. You star in the film as Chief Burroughs, Ben's superior yes, yes, officer. Yes. What was that like? That was a very, um,
1: I had a wonderful time. I'm very grateful that um, Mr. Penn allowed me to be in this movie mm-hmm. and hopefully I could be in more. I'm just, hey, right. I'm in my element. I enjoy doing what I do. I, l- I enjoy entertaining people.
0: That's right. I feel you on that. Mike Tyson, Um, how the hell are you this old and you find a way to stay in shape, man? Because it's a struggle for some of us. It's a struggle.
1: Hey, listen, it's a struggle because you're moving so damn much. It's a struggle. next thing you know, next thing you know, you're eating meat and next thing you know, you're eating shakes and what the hell just happened? <laughs> so guys, got to stay with, that's, with it.
0: that's how God humbles us. That's right. You're right about that, Mike Tyson. Man, happy for you. Happy for all your success. Happy for everything coming your way. You got hot boxing. You got the black files. You got Tyson 2.0. Your cannabis company, and of course, you got Tyson Pro. You know your apparel line. All the best to you, my man. Doing big things, getting Thank older, you, older and older, and so still tightly. winning, man. Keep doing your thing.
1: God bless.
0: All right, man. Take care. All
1: right.
0: Bro. All right. We'll always have love for Mike Tyson because we've seen the very worst. He's let us in. He's allowed us to get to know him and know all his trials and tribulations. And it's, it's really, really nice seeing him in this comfortable place. I mean, I don't know how much weed and smoke mushroom you need to smoke to get to that point. That's a different subject for another day. Um, I am not thinking about smoking any weed. That is not my style, but I did want to asked that question because I was curious to hear his answer. Did that man say I was paranoid? I think that's what he said. He said I was paranoid. Me? Me? Paranoid? No! You know, I I just never had any desire. I'm a control freak when it comes to me. I like being in control of me. I don't want to be inebriated, devoid of my senses and put myself in compromising positions and then I get to say I don't know what the hell was going on, you know what I mean? So I I, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I just don't. I could tell y'all a story, but I don't know if y'all ready for a story. It was involving me and Suge Knight from a couple of days, a couple of decades ago. I ain't going to tell y'all that just yet. Though. I don't know if y'all ready for that story. I don't know if y'all ready for that. But it did involve me and Suge Knight. Believe it or not, we were at the Palm in Vegas at a, at, a, at the club on the roof of the Palm. Okay. Okay. When the former, when the owners of the Sacramento Kings owned that spot, he was sitting at a table, you know what I'm saying? It it involved weed, not with me directly, but I'm just saying it's very interesting. Anyway, thanks to the great Mike Tyson. We got more coming up. By the way, the hotline to call into the show is 646-SAS-0769. That's 646-727-0769. Your calls, your questions up next but not before I touch on something involving the president of the United States. Don't touch that dial. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith show right here on YouTube. Back with more in a minute.
1: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline until I flatline. I push it to the red line. Who's going to stop me high?
0: Who gonna stop me high? Thanks to the, again to the great Mike Tyson for being on the show with us. Before I get to the calls and the um, questions that you have available to me, first of all, thank you again for listening. As always, I appreciate it. My subscribers are uh, up to over 251,000 uh, subscribers on right here on my YouTube channel. Really, really appreciate it. It's at 251,625 to be exact. I've picked up over 500 subscribers in the last 55 minutes. So I just wanted to say thank you. Appreciate the love. Keep it coming. Thank you so much. As always, uh, the number to call up obviously is six, uh, six two six SAS zero seven six nine. So, but before I go to the call six, six four six, I'm sorry, seven, um, SAS zero seven six nine. That's six four six seven two seven zero seven six nine. That's what you can do to call into the Stephen A. Smith show. And, um, I'll play your messages. Just don't be too damn long with it. I don't play that. Okay. This is my show. It's not yours. You don't get to give dissertations for two plus minutes and beyond. I'm not listening to that. You got 30 seconds tops, probably 20. So make your message quick, just so you know, because I got a lot of calls all the time. Um, I want to get to a little politics for a quick second before I went to the calls. Because, see, this is the kind of stuff that I speak on behalf of black folks everywhere, white folks everywhere. Uh, Latinos. Asian Americans, Native Americans, Jewish folks, Catholics, anybody's in this country. This is the kind of BS that pisses us off. It really is. It's wasting our time. It's wasting our dollars. It's much ado about nothing. Much ado about nothing. And I'll explain in a minute. First example I want to use is former mayor of New York, former ridiculous presidential candidate, former right hand of, of President Trump, Mr. Rudy Giuliani, a court filing by Rudy Giuliani in response to a lawsuit filed against him by two Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Wandria Shea Moss, included a concession. Giuliani admitted to making defamatory statements against the workers. Now, see, people pissed me off with this because they said to me, yo, Stephen, A., Rudy Giuliani admitted he lied. He lied. He lied. Let me teach y'all something. As a journalist for three decades that kind of knows a thing or two about this stuff. Admitting to making defamatory statements is not admitting to lying. You see how he played that? You see how slick it was? Do you get it? It's much ado about nothing. Just a complete freaking waste of our damn time. Listen to Giuliani's quote from his lawyers. His lawyer says, Giuliani submitted the recent court filing that included the admittance in response to that request. Quote, He does not dispute for the purposes of this litigation, that the statements carry meaning that is defamatory per se. While Giuliani does not admit to plaintiff's allegations, he, for the purposes of this litigation only, does not contest the factual allegations. Thus, plaintiffs do not need any additional discovery or sanctions regarding striking Giuliani's answer based on his concession of facts establishing liability. Giuliani basically said that these folks, these election workers, were cited by Giuliani and then Trump as an example of election fraud in Georgia, where they were accused of manipulating the ballots. They obviously sued him. And he's basically saying he admits to defaming them. But not necessarily lying. And the only reason he's doing that is for the purposes of the litigation, not as a point of fact. You see how they play with words? You see how they play with words. This is the bullshit. You either lied or you didn't. But somehow, some way we got to go through one layer after another to get to that reality while taxpayer monies are wasted. This is what I'm talking about. This is the problem. OK, but it's more the same. And guess what? The whole Hunter Biden situation is no better. I don't know if you all heard the news. Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, who was a former crack addict. Let's just call it what it is. Yes, he was on crack. I said it that way about Lamar Odom. I can say it that way about the son of the president of the United States. He was on crack. They recently found cocaine in the White House, by the way. no evidence that it was his. Although in all the years I've been alive, I've not heard of cocaine being in the White House. This is the first time. But who's casting guilt? We don't know. We don't know. Anyway, um, he was supposed to go into a Delaware courtroom today um, and authenticate a plea deal he had reached just weeks ago. It was a plea deal between Hunter Biden and the Justice Department over tax charges. All right. Uh, tax evasion charges, because prosecutors said in court that Hunter Biden had failed to pay between 1.1 million and 1.5 million in taxes before the legal deadlines, and was poised to plead guilty to two tax charges. With prosecutors agreeing to recommend a, a sentence of probation, obviously the Republicans in the House wanted more than that because there was a felony gun charge. Because if you are um, probation for any reason. And in his case, the Joe drug use and things, you're not supposed to be having a firearm, an unlicensed firearm at that. And apparently that was something that was considered to be a felony charge and they thought he was getting off easy. Uh, but nevertheless, a plea deal between him and the Justice Department over the tax charges is on hold after a federal judge, Mary Ellen Noriega, uh, basically put on hold by her because she said, In a dramatic court hearing today that she was not ready to accept the revised agreement between both parties, the defendant and the prosecutor. The hearing ended with President Joe Biden's son pleading not guilty for the time being. And the judge asking both sides to file additional briefs explaining the plea deal's legal structuring. Much ado about nothing. He's not going to jail, ladies and gentlemen. He's the president's son. And short of physically harming somebody else. He's not going to jail. And oh, by the way, the Republicans in the House want to be in an uproar. They want to be apoplectic because, my God, preferential treatment was accorded to the son of the President of the United States of America. Why the hell wouldn't preferential treatment be accorded to the son of the President of the United States? If I'm the commander in chief, I'm in charge of law enforcement throughout the country. The head of the Justice Department is appointed by me. State Attorney Generals and beyond answer to the Justice Department or the State Attorney Generals. Why wouldn't I have an inside track? Why wouldn't I have inroads? I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying, why are we walking around acting like we're aghast over this? Shut up! Will you stop with the nonsense? Oh, my God. Money shouldn't matter. But it does. Context. I mean, context shouldn't matter. But it does. I work for ESPN. I am an employee. I am not Bob Iger. CEO of Walt Disney. I am not Jimmy Pitaro the president of ESPN. I'm not Burke Magnus, who's running production and, pro- and, and, and promotions for ESPN. I am not Dave Roberts or Norby Williamson. I'm not working at Facebook. Even if I was working at Facebook, I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. If I'm working at Amazon, I'm not Jeff Bezos. I'm none of these people. But if I was at that place, what I am at ESPN and Walt Disney, that explains why I get all of these damn calls. Yo, Stephen A., could you look out for a brother? Could you give a recommendation? Could you take this resume and give it to somebody, please? Because when people have an inside track, they use it. Why are you acting like you don't know that in the United States of America? Will you grow the hell up? Now, somebody shoot somebody on on, on Fifth Avenue like Trump claimed he could years ago and get away with it. That's a different argument. We're really going to sit up here and be apoplectic apoplectic about the fact that the son of the president of the United States paid his taxes beyond the deadline he was supposed to pay his taxes in back-to-back years. And oh, by the way, possessed a gun. And because of that, He's getting away with a misdemeanor deal. We really going to make noise about that? We really got Jim Jordan and these people on Capitol Hill bitching over that? Really? Really? It's that kind of BS. By the way, just using taxpayer dollars to do it, that annoys the living hell out of us. It's stuff like that that leads to the insurrection on January 6th in 2021, you know. Because at some point in time, even though it was ridiculous because you had folks storming the Capitol to overthrow a government they run. It still doesn't negate the point that when you have dominion over people's lives and you're taking their monies and you're utilizing their resources for your own benefits at their expense, frustration is going to boil. Why can't you just do the right thing? I tell you why they can't do the right thing. Because the Democrats were doing the wrong thing by going after Trump excessively for every little damn thing they could. Certainly there were things that he deserved to be going after for. But there were other things that were trivial. And since they were trivial, the Republicans who now have control of the House are saying it's our turn. Just like when they went after Clinton over the Monica Lewinsky scandal in the mid 90s. So guess what? They tried to go after George W. Bush over everything. They tried to go after Trump over everything. And the American people are pawns. This is why people can't stand your asses on Capitol Hill. Forget partisanship. Forget aside. Y'all can't just shove stuff aside and run our damn government. You got to waste time on stuff like this. Hunter Biden is not going to jail. It's not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. Not over this. Not over this. Oh, let's impeach Joe Biden. Uh, get that video ready. Show the video to the American people because this is why people, they want to point to stuff like this so we can impeach Joe Biden. Go ahead and play this right now, please. They walking out to the press conference and said, No, I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, You have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, Call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion, I'm gonna be leaving here, and I think it was what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. (laughs) got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. I rest my case. The then vice president of the United States of America had a problem with a prosecutor in Ukraine wanted him fired and used the power of his connection to the presidency to say, you're not getting a billion dollars. You're not the president. So what? Call him. You ain't getting it unless you fire that prosecutor. Sure enough, the prosecutor was replaced and they got their billion dollars. That's influence. That's power. By the way, did you know that Putin has power in Russia? You think everybody in Russia wants to attack Ukraine? Putin didn't care. He got the power they don't. Everywhere you look throughout the world, people with influence and power occasionally exercise it. That's the way of the world. Get the hell over it. And stop with the pettiness. This is just embarrassing. Nothing's going to happen to Hunter Biden. And oh, by the way, Hunter Biden, who was on crack. Is not the president. His daddy is. And his daddy who said that, he said went behind closed doors, some secret tape revealed by TMZ or something. Vice President Biden told that to the media. And now years later, we want to use that as an excuse to impeach him just because everybody went after Trump. We're the pawns. We're the ones not getting things done for us. I'm talking white, black and everybody in between under the stewardship of our government on Capitol Hill, who seems to do a far greater job of servicing themselves than servicing all of us as the American people. That is the crime. What we really need to do as American citizens is say to one another, despite our differences, let's come together and demand that they stop wasting our money on petty bullshit. And that they go about the business of getting the work done on Capitol Hill. That's what we really, really, really should be coming together. Because that way we can truly judge who's doing a job and who doesn't. As opposed to them allowing us to give lip service and acting like they're doing something that they really ain't doing to make a difference when all they're doing is throwing icing on the cake, trying to appease everybody to make themselves look like they're being productive when they ain't doing a damn thing. They make me sick. I swear to God, they make me sick. I'm talking about ineffective, useless politicians wasting our time with stuff that's going to amount to nothing. I said the same thing about Trump, you know. When he had the 37 charges uh, uh, going against him, what was the first thing Stephen A. Smith came on the air and said? What did I say, y'all? You know what I said? I said, quote, is he going to end up in jail? Because if he's not going to end up in jail, why are y'all wasting my time? It's a waste of time. One charge after another, after another. You're really trying to derail his election. You're actually making his arguments about election fraud look legitimate because even though he lost the damn election legitimately in this particular instance, the likelihood is that he ain't going to end up in jail either. But enough noise is going to be thrown in his direction and you'll scare him enough, maybe, maybe not, where he ultimately will lose the the election or dare I say, decide not to even run anymore or catch a heart attack or a stroke because he just can't take the stress. Now, I don't know if any of that stuff's going to happen, but that's what you're hoping. At some point in time, could you have the decency to close? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin, always be closing. Always be closing. A, B, C. If you ain't closing, you ain't doing the job. And who fails to close better than politicians on Capitol Hill? Full of pomp and circumstances, full of sound and fury, signifying absolutely nothing. It's really embarrassing how useless we've become in our government. It's a crying damn shame. Let's go to the calls. 626, sorry, 646. SAS 0769 that's 646-727-0769. Let's go to the calls. Who we got? Hey Steven. It's Andre Tyrone from New Jersey. I'm wondering what do you think about dating taller women? I'm about 5'4 and I've been dating girls about five eight, five nine. Wondering what's your advice on this? Well, first of all, I mean, if you don't mind the woman literally looking down on you physically cause you're shorter than her. Ain't no problem with it. I mean, even though I'm, I'm a booty leg and hip man to the core. Uh, You know, some men like taller women that, you know, beautiful legs and they looking up to me personally. I don't want to be looking up to my woman. I want to be looking up at her in terms of stature. I want to be looking up at her in terms of respect. I want to be looking up at her in terms of admiration, subliminally, figuratively speaking. But physically, I don't want to be walking down the street holding the hands with my woman and looking up at her. That's me. But hey, you can't help the fact that you only only 5'4". And if they taller than you, especially if they fine to you, because beauty's in the eye the beholder, more power to you. It's women that don't mind walking around down the street, holding the hands of the shorter man That that may I'm I'm looking at her. I'm admiring you. Go for it, bro. Go for it. Look, look, hey, hey. Height don't matter in the dark. Height don't matter in the dark. It don't matter in the light when you're laying down either. That's how I look at it. Go for it, bro. Go for it. Next call. What's up? What's up, Stephen A. This is Bonnie from Chicago. My Next, question
1: Are you is, yeah. what are you okay. looking
0: forward to the
1: most for this upcoming NBA season per free agency so far?
0: Should Dam- Damian Lillard sign with Miami? I'm looking forward to seeing where Damian Lillard goes. But what I'm looking forward to most for this upcoming season, I just think that when Boston, LA, and New York are relevant in the basketball universe, basketball is just better. I truly believe that. Um, I like the smaller market teams. Don't get me wrong. I want to see Memphis and John ja Morant. I want my Ma- John ja Morant to come back with a vengeance and remind the world of his greatness. I want Luka Doncic in the Dallas Mavericks. That ain't that small of a market. I want to see them doing their thing. I want a lot of this action going on, but I, I want to see LeBron and the Lakers as relevant as they were the second half of this season and deep into the playoffs. I want to see the New York Knicks advance to a conference finals, if not an NBA finals. I would love that. I would love to see Damian Lillard come to the New York Knicks. I made that case on first take yesterday, Um, although I wouldn't mind having Donovan Mitchell instead of him in a year or so, because I think that's possible. Um Boston being a championship contender, and I just I, there's no team that I love watching more than the Golden State Warriors. I think that Steve Kerr is one of the top five coaches in the history of basketball. And I think that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter God has ever created and watching him and, and a Klay Thomas, a clay Thompson who owes us, owes us a better performance than what the hell he departed. These playoffs given us. I just would love to see that personally. That's just me. Um, And I can't, and I love Sacramento and what I'm seeing from them, but, the L.A. market, the New York market, the Boston market. Yeah, because I've given up on Chicago. They're just middle of the road. They're just middle of the road. Um, I don't see them going anywhere for the foreseeable future. That's a market, obviously. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a formidable market as well. Philadelphia, obviously, top five, top six market. We'd like to see them do better. But New York, L.A., and Boston, those markets need to give us great basketball, and I think they've got a the potential to do so. Next caller, what's going on? What's up, Stephen A. This is Bryce. I'm from Los Angeles. If Carmelo Anthony
1: had been traded to the Lakers instead of the Knicks, how many championships
0: would he and Kobe have won? (sighs) That's an interesting question because I think that um, if Carmelo Anthony had been traded to the Lakers, I think he would have got one title. But let me say this because I love Carmelo Anthony. That's my brother. I know him well. I got a lot of love and respect for him. I love, you know, uh, his wife, Lala, as well. Uh, Beautiful woman, beautiful person. Um, And his brother, Justice, my brother. It's been a long time, my man. Got love for you. Can't wait to see you soon. Let me tell you something about Carmelo Anthony. He truly is mellow. He's a laid back kind of brother, whatever. Offensively, he was a juggernaut. I still think Carmelo Anthony could play in the NBA right now. Defense has never been his forte. Offensively, offensively, he was prolific. Here's what I hold him accountable for. Before you ask that question, understand that Carmelo Anthony should have already had a championship. Carmelo Anthony blew it. In 2007, Dwayne Wade signed a, year, a, a contract extension with an opt-out after three years. So did LeBron James. Carmelo Anthony was supposed to do so as well. Instead, Carmelo Anthony signed a five-year deal because the Denver Nuggets put five years and 80 million in front of his face. And Carmelo Anthony was like, yo, man, I'm from the streets. I ain't turning down that kind of guaranteed money. He didn't want to bet on himself to get the money that he could get for the three years, opt out and then get a new contract. It was never supposed to be Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James in Miami. It was supposed to be LeBron James, Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony. I'm telling you what I know. I don't give a damn what they say. I'm the one who broke the story that LeBron James, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade would end up uh, joining forces in South beach. I broke that story, nobody else. And I'm telling you what I know. It was supposed to be Carmelo Anthony, but he signed a contract that didn't give him an opt out in the year 2010. And so they settled on Chris Bosh. And that is how that happened. If Carmelo Anthony had been in Miami with LeBron and with D Wade, they would not have lost to Dallas. And I don't. I I believe they would have won three titles at least in the four years that they were there together. So to go to him and Kobe, yeah, maybe they would have won one, but he had three in Miami. I firmly believe that. Next caller. What's up, Stephen A. It's Eliante from San Jose, California. Next caller. Question I wanted to ask is: Who are your top five comedians? Thanks. Top five comedians. Okay, I'm gonna end the show by answering that question, uh, and I got a video to show y'all about Drake in a second. By the way, but I, before, but before I do that, I'm gonna answer that question. Five top comedians of all time. Oh, uh, you want to give love to the great, late great Richard Pryor, uh, because he was a pioneer. You know, Red Fox with Sanford and Son, stuff like that. I get it, but nah, he wasn't stand. He wouldn't do. I mean, he did stand up, but it wasn't like Richard Pryor. I'm gonna give Richard Pryor. He's the goat. I got to give it to Eddie Murphy, who's withstood the test of time. I think he's one of the greatest ever. I'm a huge, huge, huge Martin Lawrence fan. I love me some Martin Lawrence, okay? I watch Martin religiously to this day. I love him. Love him to death. Can't wait to meet him. I don't give a damn about interviewing him anything. I just want to meet the brother. That's how much love I have for him. And it's beautiful to see and hear these brothers give him the love that they give him because of all the greatness that he's done for other people. So I got a lot of love for him right there. Those are my top three. I'm going to tell you, you could throw the Chris Rocks out there, the Kevin Hart's, those they're in the conversation, some of the greatest ever. Oh, I get all of that. Um, Bernie Mac, get all of that. Can't forget my man, Steve Harvey and Cedric the Entertainer. Got to give them love. But I'm going to tell you who my final two is. The Dave Chappelle show was sensational. And he's great in stand-up as well, but sensational show. I love Dave Chappelle. He's got to be in my top five. And last but not least, this might be unpopular to some people, but I'm going to give it to him because I think that over the years, I haven't seen him recently, but over the years, Yo, y'all, we got to give love to Cat Williams. Cat Williams is spectacular in stand-up, spectacular. Remember that time he was talking about he was doing this show in Jacksonville and he was talking about Trump and he was like, CNN was crying. There is no way Trump can win this election. It's here, 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 here and here. And then the next thing you know, he said, those analysts came out crying and stuff when Trump won. He was laughing about it and stuff like that. How about when he did Snoop special? Who, by the way, we talk about kings of comedy and stuff like that. Kings of comedy, Def Comedy Jam. Snoop should do more of his own shows because Shaq does it a lot, too. And Shaq has some good ones. Ari Spears and others, phenomenal comedians. Can't forget them. But Snoop. Could do his own deaf comedy jam setup. I swear I'd love to partner with Snoop or something like that. You understand? Because it's special. But let me tell you something. Remember when Cat Williams looked at him and he said, We went from a deranged president. He was talking about Trump. He said, We went from a deranged president to weekends at Bernie's. (laughs) He said, It was hilarious. That's, That's Cat Williams, man. Phenomenal. Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, Dave Chappelle, and Cat Williams. That's my list. But love to Chris Rock, Kevin Hart. They all in the conversation. Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer, Bernie Mac, the late Bernie Mac, God rest. So, so many others. Well, my top five I just gave to you. Before I get on out of here. I don't know if y'all saw this video or, uh, or Drake but I think he was performing, was it at Madison Square Garden, New York? I think that's where it was. I'm not sure. But let's just say, you know, it's amazing to me that there's so many women out here who complain about so many men, not all, because some of us are decent, God-fearing individuals who would never objectify. Ladies. But there's a lot of men who would. And it is amazing to me when I see videos like what I saw from uh, with Drake performing in concert where some of these same women are the ones who complain about being objectified. What on earth is Stephen A talking about? Take a look. Take a look. Are y'all watching that? Are y'all watching that? Ladies and gentlemen, that video right there is a little bit tight. It's a little bit dicey. It's not telling the whole story. While Drake was on stage performing, numerous women were throwing their bras and panties at him, including a lady who wears a size 38 D or double D. And as a result has received a new contract from what is it? Playboy. Playboy gave a new contract. Because she exposed her titties on a weekday afternoon. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can we stop faulting men for this? This man was minding his business, performing on stage, fully clothed, spewing his lyrics. He didn't ask for that. But these women were taking off bras and panties. So evidently, their breasts weren't the only things they were exposing in public. But men are at fault for noticing. I'd like you to consider that, please, and get back to me on your feelings about that. Drake, for the composure and the discipline to not surrender to such temptation. After all, We don't want you being called the pervert, right? Because it would be your fault. You understand that, Drake? In the world we live in right now, it'd be your fault. Not the ones who took off the bras and panties. It's your fault. It's your fault, Drake. That's what they would say. So I applaud you for exercising a level of discipline they clearly did not have. Just thought I'd throw that out there to end the show. Y'all have a nice day. You hear? I'll be back Friday afternoon live from the fight in Vegas this weekend between Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. Until then, it's Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcast.